Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. The event we'll be talking about today occurred in the year 1943. And as always, I'll be telling you a few other things that were happening that year to give you a good overview of what sort of things were occurring in that time. On January 1st, the Soviet Union announces that 22 German divisions had been encircled at Stalingrad, with 175,000 killed and 137,650 captured. On January the 22nd, the roundup of Marseille begins. Over 4,000 Jews are detained in Nazi-occupied Marseille as part of Action Tiger, before being transported to extermination camps in Poland. Between March and December, the British prototype Mark I Colossus computer is constructed. It's the world's first totally electronic, programmable computing device, and it was made to help in cryptanalysis of German signals at Bletchley Park. On the 15th of March, Italian submarine Leonardo da Vinci sinks the Canadian Pacific liner RMS Empress of Canada off Sierra Leone. Nearly half of the 392 fatalities are in fact Italian prisoners of war. On May the 17th, 1943, the Memphis Bells crew becomes the first air crew in the 8th Air Force to complete its 25-mission tour of duty. The aircraft and crew are the first to return to the US, intact for a war bond drive. July the 24th sees Operation Gomorrah, where the British and Canadian aeroplanes bomb Hamburg by night. The American planes bomb the city by day, and by the end of the operation, in November the 9th, 9,000 tonnes of explosives will have killed more than 42,000 people and destroyed 280,000 buildings. On October the 21st, Lucy Aubrac and others in her French resistance cell liberate Raymond Aubrac from the Gestapo imprisonment. December the 2nd sees the World War II Bari chemical warfare disaster where a surprise Luftwaffe air raid on Bari, in Italy, sinks 28 Allied ships in the harbour, including the American Liberty ship SS John Harvey, releasing its secret cargo of mustard gas bombs, inflating the number of casualties. 
And lastly, on December 31st, the Times Square Ball in Times Square, New York City, isn't dropped a second time. Instead, there was a moment of silence at midnight, followed by the sound of bells playing from sound trucks at the base of one Times Square. Our event that we'll be talking about today occurred on the 1st of June 1943, when a Hollywood star was killed by Luftwaffe. I'm talking about Leslie Howard. Word of the week. And this week, the word I give you is... Nemophilist, which means a haunter of the woods, otherwise known as someone who loves the forest and its beauty and solitude. Leslie Howard. He starred in one of the most successful movies of all time and was a world-famous actor. He was a 50-year-old megastar who had stood up to Clark Gable as Ashley Wilkes in Gone with the Wind, played Henry Higgins in a 1938 adaptation of Pygmalion, and was renowned as the Scarlet Pimpernel in the classic 1934 movie. But his roots were quite humble. His Hungarian Jewish father, Ferdinand Steiner, anglicised his name to Frank Steiner when he moved to London and married barrister's daughter Lillian Howard, nee Bloomberg. Though born in Forest Hill on the 3rd of April 1893, their son initially grew up in Vienna, returning to London and a Dulwich College education when his father joined a city stockbroking firm. Intending Leslie to follow in his footsteps, he secured him a job as a bank clerk but the acting bug had already bitten him, thanks to his mother's fondness for amateur dramatics, and Leslie would take on her adopted maiden name as his own. He first appeared on screen in the 1914 film The Heroine of Mons, directed by his uncle, Wilfred Noy. I'll tell you what it means It means I'd like to sell you New Orleans Come on, come on A few months after First World War began, in September 1914, 21-year-old Leslie voluntarily enlisted under the name Leslie Howard Steiner as a private with the British Army's Inns of Court Officer Training Corps in London. In February 1915, he received a commission as an officer in the 1st Northamptonshire Yeomanry, with which he trained in England until the 19th of May 1916. When he resigned his commission and was medically discharged from the British Army with norothenia, that same year, he married Ruth Evelyn Martin and began his acting career in earnest, with his matinee idol looks helping him to success in theatres on both sides of the Atlantic. Leslie and Ruth had two children, Ronald and Leslie. Leslie appeared with her father and David Niven in the film The First of the Few, playing the role of nurse to David Niven's character and as a major contributor in the film biography of her father, Leslie Howard, the man who gave a damn. His son was in the Royal Navy at the time of his father's death, but later became an actor and played the title role in the television series Sherlock Holmes of 1954. As for some of his other family members, well, Leslie Howard's younger brother, Arthur, was also an actor primarily in British comedies. 
His sister, Irene, was a costume designer and a casting director for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. His sister, Doris Dana, founded the Hearst Lodge School in Sunningdale, Berkshire, in 1945 and remained its headmistress until the 1970s. Leslie appeared on the stage in 1917 and first acted in London the following year in The Freaks, one of Pinero's last plays. He was then seen but not particularly noticed in some of the highly successful light comedies of the post-war years. He made some minor films in the early 1920s as both actor and producer, but it was with the coming of sound that his screen career really took off, thanks to Hollywood's need to recruit actors with good stage-trained voices, the better to cope with the primitive early recording equipment. To say that Leslie Howard was a ladies' man is an understatement, and he once said that he didn't chase women, but couldn't always be bothered to run away. He reportedly had affairs with Tallulah Bankhead when they appeared on stage in the UK in Her Cardboard Lover in 1927, with Conchita Montenegro, with whom he had appeared in the film Never the Twain Shall Meet in 1931, and with Merle Oberon while filming The Scarlet Pimpernel in 1934. There were also rumours of affairs with Norma Shearer and Myrna Loy during filming of The Animal Kingdom, Howard also reportedly fathered a daughter, Carol Grace, born 1924, by Roisin Marcus. Come on, come on, do all the things there are to do in New Orleans. In 1920, he went to New York, where he soon became a fashionable actor on Broadway, appearing principally in English plays by Milne or Lonsdale. He stayed for the most part in New York until 1928, when he returned to London with a high American reputation and made a big success along with Miss Tallulah Bankhead in Her Cardboard Lover. Already a major Broadway star, he made his talkie debut with Outward Bound in 1930, based on an existing stage success. The theatre would fuel many of his best-remembered early screen roles, notably The Petrified Forest in 1936. And when he was offered the role in a screen adaptation, he said that he wouldn't do it unless the same deal was offered to his little-known co-star, Humphrey Bogart. And by then, Howard had enough power in the industry to make such demands. Thanks to a Best Actor Oscar nomination for Barclay Square in 1933, Bogart and Howard became firm friends. And many years after the latter's death, Bogart named his daughter Leslie as a tribute to the man who launched his screen career. The year the Second World War broke out, Howard played his most famous role as the archetypal Southern gentleman Ashley Wilkes in Gone with the Wind. He could easily have stayed in Hollywood for the duration but he was one of the first British stars to make a point of returning home. Actually, he did this a few days before war broke out, realising that it was inevitable. The rest of his career was spent helping the war effort. In the two ways he was best suited. Firstly, overt propaganda. Firstly, there was a 15-minute film called The Four Corners, 
which was released in 1941. It's about three soldiers, a Canadian, an Australian and a New Zealander, who are on leave in London, where they meet an English film actor, Mr Howard, who buys them a pint, takes them to the top of St Paul's Cathedral and demonstrates to them that they all have common roots and to ask them why they crossed the seas to fight Hitler. He also appeared in other fictional features designed to convey a similar message. <laughs> Word on the street. Today we venture to Fox House on BS4, named after the Fox family who ran Bridlington Asylum for many years. Dr Edward Long Fox first opened his asylum in 1804 specifically for the treatment of mental illnesses, using several private houses which were linked together. In the grounds were cottages for the use of patients of social standing. All the windows had metal frames to minimise the fire risk and innovation at the time. In May 1943, Howard travelled to Portugal to promote the British cause. He stayed in Monte Estoril at the Hotel Atlantico on and off during the whole of May. On the 1st of June 1943, he was aboard KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, Flight 777, a Douglas DC-3 flying to Bristol from Lisbon in Portugal when it was shot down by Luftwaffe Junkers GU-88C6 maritime fighter aircraft over the Bay of Biscay. Howard was among the 17 fatalities, including four ex-KLM flight crew and a baby aged 18 months old. The flight had been operating on a schedule between Lisbon and Whitchurch in Bristol throughout 1942-43 to that didn't pass over what would commonly be referred to as a war zone. By 1942, however, the Germans considered the region an extremely sensitive war zone. On two occasions, the 15th of November 1942 and the 19th of April 1943, the camouflaged airliner had been attacked by German fighter planes while en route. Each time, the pilots escaped via evasive tactics. In this particular attack on this domestic airline flight, on the 1st of June 1943, it appears that it came under attack by a swarm of eight maritime fighters, the DC-3's last radio message indicated it was being fired upon at a latitude of 9.37 west and a latitude of 46.54 north. According to German documents, the DC-3 was shot down some 500 miles from Bordeaux, France and 200 miles northwest of La Coruña, Spain. Luftwaffe records indicate that the maritime fighters were operating beyond their normal patrol area to intercept and shoot down the aircraft. First Uberlutnant Herbert Hintz, Staffelfuhrer, 
a 14 Staffel and based in Bordeaux, stated that his Staffel shot down the DC-3 because it was recognised as an enemy aircraft. Hints further stated that his pilots were angry that the Luftwaffe leaders had not informed them of a scheduled flight between Lisbon and the UK, and that had they known, they could easily have escorted the DC-3 to Bordeaux and captured it with all on board. Two short messages came from Flight 777 around lunchtime on the 1st of June, 1943. Unidentified aircraft follows me. Which was quickly followed by... Being attacked by enemy aircraft. Afterwards, the German pilots photographed the wreckage floating in the Bay of Biscay. And after the war, copies of these captured photographs were sent to Howard's family. The day after the attack, a short Sunderland flying boat from Number 461 Squadron searched the Bay of Biscay. Near the same coordinates where the DC-3 was shot down, the Sunderland was attacked by eight enemy aircraft, and after a furious battle, it managed to shoot down three of its attackers, with an additional three possibles, before crash-landing at Pra Sands near Penzance. In the aftermath of these two attacks, all BOAC flights from Lisbon were subsequently rerouted and operated only under the cover of darkness. The news of Howard's death was published in the same issue of the Times that reported the death of Major William Martin, the red herring used for the ruse involved in Operation Mincemeat. Most of the 13 passengers on the plane were either British executives with corporate ties to Portugal or lower-ranking British government civil servants. There were also two or three children of British military personnel. The bumped passengers were the teenage sons of Cornelia Stuyvesant Vanderbilt, George and William Cecil, who had been recalled to London from their Swiss boarding school. Being bumped by Howard saved their lives. William Cecil is best associated with his ownership and preservation of his grandfather George Washington Vanderbilt's Biltmore State in North Carolina. News of the air disaster rocked Britain and delighted the Nazi propaganda minister, Dr Goebbels. Leslie Howard, while at the pinnacle of Hollywood's success as the star of The Scarlet Pimpernel, Pygmalion and Gone with the Wind, had sacrificed his royalties, bought himself out of his contract and returned to Britain in 1939 to work on the war effort. There have been many conspiracy theories about one of the passengers being a target for the shooting, and not just Howard for his overt propaganda. Tyrell Mildmay Shervington was the director of Shalmex and BP Oil Company in Lisbon, but he was also Agent H100 of the Special Operations Executive's Iberian Operation. Jose Antonio Barreros suggests that Shervington was the actual target of the attack, rather than Howard. Another passenger was Wilfred Israel, a member of an important Anglo-German Jewish family and a rescuer of Jews from the Holocaust who had close connections to the British government. He was born in England to an Anglo-Jewish mother and German-Jewish father 
and he and his brother had run the Nathan Israel department store in Berlin until it was seized by the Nazis in 1938. As early as 1933, he was getting information about Nazi arrest lists and warning the intended victims. He worked with the consular officials in the British Embassy to obtain visas, and he dismissed 700 of his firm's Jewish staff with two years' pay in 1936, telling them to save themselves by leaving Germany. After Kristallnacht, he was instrumental in setting up the Kindertransport, which saved more than 10,000 Jewish children from Germany and Austria. He remained in Berlin until 1939, when he left Britain. He returned to Berlin once more before the outbreak of war to secure the departure of a last trainload of children. On the 26th of March, 1943, he left Britain for Portugal and spent two months investigating the situation of Jews in Spain and Portugal. When he got there, he found as many as 1,500 Jewish refugees in Spain, many of whom he aided in obtaining Palestine certificates, and he proposed a plan to the British government to help them. The propaganda films he made for the British Ministry of Information and, on his own initiative, directed and starred in two of, irritated Goebbels. Pimpernel Smith about freeing young Jewish refugees from the Nazis and the first of the few about the designer of the Spitfire which bolstered morale during the Battle of Britain. Howard was one of the most successful of the overseas speakers. His fan mail from all parts of the world showed that he had struck a chord with a wide appeal. A BBC official said... His calm and steady confidence and quiet patronism did much to keep our people overseas in good heart. The services he rendered the empire and indeed the world cannot be too highly assessed. And so Nazi propaganda chief Joseph Goebbels was well aware of Howard's importance to the British people as the very embodiment, both on screen and off, of all they stood for, and all that was worth cherishing about their values. His shockingly sudden death was widely regarded as a national tragedy. Amongst some of his other war effort work, Howard broadcasted letters to America designed to bring neutral USA on side and had visited Ireland on a bridge-building mission to the anti-British premier, Eamon de Valera. Howard intended to continue in this vein with The Lamp Still Burns in 1943, a surprisingly hard-hitting study of the pressures faced by nurses in pre-NHS British hospitals. However, it ended up being directed by Maurice Elvey after Howard's death. Talking about Howard after his demise... The Sunday Post wrote, I saw him in every film. Most of all, I remember him as Professor Higgins in Pygmalion. In his scenes with the naughty Liza and as the musician in Escape to Happiness, the scene where he picks up the unconscious body of his daughter who has been run over as she crosses the street to meet him was Howard at his best. The last words about Leslie Howard goes to Sir Malcolm Robertson MP, chairman of the British Council at the time who paid a special tribute to the work Howard had carried out at the time, lecturing for the British Council in Spain and Portugal. 
Leslie Howard was one of the finest people who could have been chosen to help us in our work of making the British way of life more widely known abroad. He went on an arduous trip at considerable inconvenience to himself. He recognised that his visit would have an admirable effect on Anglo-Portuguese and Anglo-Spanish relations, and gladly undertook this tour as a contribution to the increasingly great part being played by actors, scientists and men of letters in cementing international friendships. The reports we have had from both Spain and Portugal show that due to his popularity as a lecturer, he had added a host of personal friendships, won for him by the modesty and charm of his manner. His death leaves a gap in the world of the British film and theatre, which can hardly be filled. The British Council is proud to feel that this great actor was associated with them in a venture which began so auspiciously and ended so tragically. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply doesn't work that way. Even a quick look at the message, a sign of a quick reply, affects your concentration and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, you're four times more likely to crash. Think. Put your phone away. personal news of the day, I hired a handyman and gave him a to-do list. When I got home, only items 1, 3 and 5 got done. Turns out he only does odd jobs. Back in the day facts. start with the 16th of September 1620, when a determined band of 35 pilgrims set sail for Virginia from Plymouth in England in the Mayflower, jubilant at the prospect of practising their unorthodox brand of worship in the New World. On the 17th of September 1908, the Wright Flyer, flown by Orville Wright with Lieutenant Thomas Selfridge as passenger, crashes, killing Selfridge who becomes the first airplane fatality. He was also the first active duty member of the US military to die in a crash while on duty. He was 26 years old. On the 18th of September, 1879, the Blackpool eliminations are switched on for the first time and were described as artificial sunshine, consisting of just eight carbon arc lamps which bathed the promenade. The original event preceded Thomas Edison's patent of the electric light bulb by 12 months. Known locally as the lights or the illuminations, they are 6.2 miles long and now use over 1 million bulbs. On the 19th of September 1970, Michael Evis hosts the first Glastonbury Festival. On the 20th of September 1973, Billie Jean King beats Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes tennis match at the Houston Astrodome. The 21st of September 1980 sees reggae singer Bob Marley collapsing whilst jogging in New York City's Central Park 
a medical exam finds his cancer had spread to his brain, lungs and liver. And lastly, on the 22nd of September 1910, the Duke of York's Picture House opens in Brighton and it's now the oldest continually operating cinema in Britain. Well, everyone, I'm afraid that's the end of today's show. But don't worry, because I'll be here, same time, same place, next week. I hope you found the story of Leslie Howard as interesting as I did. And I felt it was very, very brave of him to use his fame and talent to further help the cause of the Allies during a very difficult and dangerous time. And he must have been aware on some level that there was a chance that his life might be in danger. But he still carried on anyway. His story this week was brought to life by the vocal talents of Joe Wilson, David Brinley-Hale and Molly Jeffries from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as our very own Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. Mm-hmm.